Good morning, and greetings from the middle of the world. You may feel like that's a little bit pompous. I didn't say from the middle of the universe or something like that, just the middle of the world. That's somehow, sometimes how Ecuadorians refer to their country, because of course that imaginary line we call the equator runs right through it. And the French gave it its name. They sent a geodesic mission down in the 1700s, I think it was, to try to place the equator line in the right place. They did pretty well. They got it off by about 80 yards. But, uh, you know, in 1700, I'm not going to bicker with them. And they wrote about their experiences in the area. And when they came back, and when they came back, they, uh, I think travel journals were really popular reading in those days. And they wrote about their travels in the regions of L'Equateur. So a Spanish-speaking country, Ecuador, got their name from the French. I'm not sure how that works, but we are glad to be there. We're glad to be worshiping with you today. We're glad particularly to be worshiping you as our Christian family, but also with uh, our family. My brother and his wife, Nika, and their three children are with us today, and my mom and dad. Um, so thank you for worshiping together with us and making it a special day. We are missionaries in Ecuador, as Camper mentioned. We've been there as a family over eight years. We've uh, been on a time of home ministry assignment for about seven months, and uh, Lord willing, hope to head back in two weeks to Ecuador. Um, Karis and Amy have just finished the third and first grades, respectively, and happy to be on their summer break. Um, and so thank you for greeting us uh, as a family today. Uh, I do lead a team of missionaries and national church partners in the areas of church planting, uh, leadership training, church revitalization in Ecuador. And we thank you guys for your prayers and your partnership in the gospel with us. Um, you've been praying for us for more than a year, maybe more than that, and You've been uh, just started as a financial partner, and we're so thankful for that. Uh, if you want to know a little bit more, we can talk later. There's a, a display. If you haven't received a, a bookmark that has some prayer requests and some ways to keep in touch with us, you can get that on the table or, or sign up if you'd like a prayer letter or anything like that. Thank you for, for staying in touch. When Camper asked if I could preach today, I said, sure. And then I tried to figure out, well, what in the world am I going to preach? I preach in Spanish all the time. How am I going to preach in English? So uh, this is a sermon that was not originally prepared for you. I'm sorry. It was prepared for two different congregations in Ecuador. Uh, but God's truth is eternal, and his word is true, and it's applicable to our lives no matter where we are, uh, regardless of different settings or circumstances. And it's not a sermon primarily about missions or cross-cultural missions this morning. It's a sermon about how I need to, and I think probably we all need, to remind her about how to stay on mission for God. Uh, day in and day out in practical ways. So please turn with me uh, in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 28. If you uh, want to follow along in the Pew Bibles, that's on page 1009 in the Pew Bibles. And um, the last words that someone speaks are often the most memorable or often the most important in a speech or in a letter. And here we have a pastor writing to a group of Christians that appear to be uh, tempted to throw in the towel. Uh, on their faith, their walk. They're tired of swimming upstream against a hostile culture. They're thinking it would be better maybe not to make waves and just join in the crowd. Um, and their shepherd, with his pastor's heart, writes to remind them and gives some practical advice and guidance and encouragement to keep them on the right path, on God's path. So let's read the Word of God now with open hearts. Hebrews 12, uh, verse 28, and I'll read through uh, 13, 16. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. 
do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among us all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest of sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Thanks to God for his word. Let's pray together. Father God, may your Holy Spirit give us ears to hear your word. Please transform our hearts and strengthen our hands so that we may love and practice your will this and every day. As we are renewed by your word, may our worship be pleasing to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. My family and I, the four of us, just returned on a trip from Canada with my parents. So there were six of us in one happy car for about a week. And as we, it was a good time. Believe it or not, it was a good time. If you know my dad, you know, it might be difficult to believe it was a good time, but it was a good time. Yeah. It was a good time. And as we headed out last Sunday night, uh, we consulted Maggie. And you may be saying, well, who's Maggie? Any Maggie in their family. Well, Maggie is the nickname we've given to the GPS. She has sort of a slightly computerized accent, and we've nicknamed her Maggie. And of course, you know, when we travel, we bow down to Maggie because Maggie knows all and uh, gets us where we need to go. Um, I think she's getting a little old or something because she's not always spot on, but it'll tell you where to go. But if I followed Maggie's instructions to the T, it would have said drives 13 hours straight up I-81 until you get to Canada. And that wouldn't have gotten us very far because she wouldn't have reminded me to, you know, put gas in the car or reminded us to eat or to stop for lodging somewhere. You have to plug all of that in. You have to tell it where you want to go and what you want to do along the way. Things you want to do or see. Do you need lodging, food, friends, family? She can help you find it, but you have to make those decisions. As advanced as our phones and our GPSs get, I don't think, I know, they will never have a moral compass. The moral compass is right here as God's Spirit enlightens uh, His Word to us. Maggie didn't, for instance, originally plan stops in Strasbourg or uh, Winchester, but going so close, we said, hey, we've got a golden opportunity to see some family, so let's stop. 
along the way. And you and I have to make daily or even moment-to-moment choices. But sometimes we feel a little bit more like our life's on autopilot. You know that map mode where it doesn't really give you directions? It just sort of shows you where you are. I'm just kind of out there wandering. So we need to ask ourselves this morning and every day, where am I headed? And how am I going to get there? What's, what's the route going to look like? What are the stops along the way? The writer here is writing to some Christians from a Hebrew background who are tempted to blend back into the faith they've just come from. They've just seen the fulfillment of their whole faith, their whole religion in Christ, but things are getting hard. They're being persecuted. Some of them have been thrown in prison. Some of them have been mistreated in other ways. Maybe their property is taken from them. And, and they're tempted just to kind of shrink back a little bit and say, can I be just kind of a Jew, more Jewish than Christian, you know, today? Some of us, maybe that's a little bit like our context, too, in a different sort of way. Maybe it's, it's you know, we're in, the, we're in Virginia, after all. It's okay to be a Christian, but maybe not that crazy of a Christian. Maybe just sort of culturally get along with people. And that was some of our founding fathers a little bit. I don't want to bash anyone by name here, but some of them named the name of God a lot, but probably didn't have a personal relationship with the Lord. And um, so, as we look at that, where are we on this path? Um, and we're just with God as long as it's not too uncomfortable. Um, I don't think we would ever wake up and sing Grover's song. For the, you, know, you can show you what generation I'm from and you know what my kids watch. But uh, Grover has a song from Sesame Street, I Please Myself. You know, and I'm like, wow, it's exciting. And he sings a whole song about how he pleases himself. And uh, I don't think we would ever be that bold to say that. But... Deep down, because God's changed our hearts, in our better moments, we know that we want to please God. But every day, I get up anyway, and I think, what do I want to do today? You know, or maybe a little bit more duty-oriented, what do I need to do today? But seldom do I get up and there's my first question, Lord, what do you want me to do today? And how do you want me to do it? Where do you want me to go? So we all have a lot to work on, myself included in that. So not just Sundays, but work days and school days and Memorial Day holidays and our good days and our bad days, our busy days and our humdrum days. The writer here gives helps to the Hebrew Christians and to us um, how our ever-present Redeemer can focus us on his path and his ways. And it's about worship and it's about pleasing him. If you've noticed in this passage, different translations do it different ways, but the idea of pleasing or acceptable comes up three times. And that's why we started back in Hebrews 12. After telling them about they're getting an unshakable kingdom, he says, so out of gratitude, offer acceptable worship to God. As we talk about small parentheses, worship wars, we have to say, well, well, the music I like or the preaching I like. Oh, here's a parenthesis, another parenthesis. If you don't like the sermon this morning, I don't really care. Right? Why? Because it's to be acceptable to him. You know? Not to us. I do care. I want it to be helpful. But um, when we worship, everything we do in worship, everything we do in life, it's, it's, it's he's the acceptability meter. He is the who are pleasing. Uh, if we look down in verse uh, 16, what does it say? It says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices, and that's more like the worship or the service, not like, what was me, I've sacrificed so much. Such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you look down into the benediction, verse 21, it says, may God equip you with every good thing that, so that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing and in sight. So this author seems real focused on helping us 
know how to please God with our practical everyday worship. And that's the idea. It's our, it, he also talks about reverent fear, you know, before the Lord. It's, it's this awe-struck worship of how can I please you, Lord? It's in everyday practice that our worship, the rubber meets the road. As we think about um, where we're from and where we're going, sometimes I think, well, of course I know where I'm from. I'm from Williamsburg, or I'm you know, from Ecuador, or from Canada, from the States. But where are we really from, and, and where are we really headed? And, and what is the way uh, along the way? Uh, is, is the goal along the way just to stay out of trouble uh, on Life's Road, or to gather as many pats on the back as we can, or to have the nicest ride, whether for you that's the Corvette, or a Cadillac, or a Volvo, or whatever? Or is it to save up as much as you can, or to live life up? You know, it's not even our main goal just to help others, even though that's good. Or to get along with everybody, to be at peace with people. It's to give God glory and to enjoy Him forever. And there's a lot of that enjoying Him forever in this passage too. We always want to do what's pleasing to Him. We're on a journey journey to Him and for Him. He's the destination on our GPS. And He defines the stops along the way. He appoints the people that we need to meet and serve. And every twist and turn and everything that appears to us like an accident or or a stop along the way that wasn't scheduled to Him was scheduled. We're pilgrims on a journey. There's a Christian songwriter, a song written probably a couple decades ago, I'm guessing. uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman sings, There's more to this life than living and dying, more than just trying to make it through the day. think, well, that's a nice little phrase. But it's really true, and it's really kind of profound. We spend a lot of time on living and trying to help our life be a little better, a little more secure, a little more pleasant. We spend a lot of time on not tr- trying not to die, being as healthy as we can and providing for ourselves and our loved ones. But even if we're not thinking about those sort of bookends of life, of living and dying, sometimes we're just kind of in the humdrum middle saying, I just want to make it through the day. But there's more than that. The songwriter was right. There's more to this life than living and dying and just trying to make it through the day. So regardless of the kind of day, um, we need to figure out what kind of trip we're on and how we're going to get there. You know, the GPSs have route preferences, right? You can do no tolls. If you want to save money, you can do fastest route. You can do the most scenic route. Do all kinds of things. You know, what's our preference for the route? Well, it's not our preference. We're finding out it's his preference. What is his direction for our route? So let's look at verse 1. It says, in sort of a summary way, let brotherly love continue. Let's keep on loving each other as brothers. So I think the context here is mostly to Christians. How do we love each other in the body of Christ? Well, it's kind of general, so he gets a bit more specific. In verse 2, he says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. So I think the idea here is to welcome strangers and newcomers with generous hearts, with true hospitality. Now let's talk about hospitality for a while. There's a difference between hospitality and entertainment. And entertainment's not bad. But this is hospitality. Hospitality is providing for needs for those that are, you know, just moving in or moving through. Okay? It's providing, you know, needs, not necessarily a big party. Uh, If you want to see the Bible's perspective on that and how it relates to sort of visiting teachers and preachers and things like that, look at 3 John uh, verses 5 to 8 sometime, perhaps in your own study. But it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be planned. And it's definitely not just for our friends. What does it say? Strangers. 
A newcomer could be a stranger. A new student could be a stranger. Uh, an immigrant from another country might be a stranger. You know, I think our fear is, well, what will I have in common with this person? Recently, uh, uh, my mom spoke to a family member that, that just had a friend move to her city and says, you know, you might look her up. She says, well, I don't know what we would have in common. She's like, you've got the town in common. She doesn't know anything about this new town, so show her where the shopping is and show her how to get around and tell her a few interesting things. We'll have more in common than we think. Uh, we don't need to be fearful about offering hospitality, but the emphasis here is on the positive. He said, for some have entertained angels unaware. So who's he talking about? He's talking about, probably alluding to, Abraham, when those three angels visited with him. You know, what a blessed, you know, occurrence and and the saving of you know, Sodom and Gomorrah and the promise to have a child. and you know, it's, a, it's a blessed time. We should not fear new and fear the strangers, but welcome it. Welcome them with generous hearts. I'm reminded of a man, uh, Sandy, retired military, just welcomed us the first time we visited his church. Uh, he works on their missions committee. Uh, he, um, his uh, spouse has uh, passed away. And he just said to me, he says, Craig, I think that you guys are probably been too busy and running around, and I bet the kids have kind of gotten the short end of the stick on a lot of your travels. I said, well, yeah. He said, I want this time to be relaxing. You can work on Sunday, but Saturday we're going to have fun. Well, I mean, you don't normally work on Sunday. In my business, we work on Sunday, right? Saturday, I want you to have fun. He says, so. He says, what do they like to do? I said, well, you know, they like, you know, says, let's go to a pond. And, uh, and so our largest, you know, he helped our, our, our old, oldest child catch a, a largemouth bass, you know, in a pond nearby his house. And, and our youngest daughter, Amy, has a bad milk allergy, but he figured out a restaurant that has a real pizza that she can eat. She used to think that pizza was just the crust because she couldn't eat anything else, you know. It's like a real pizza that Amy can eat. And um, they love planes and helicopters and stuff, so he took us up to a nearby military base and showed us that. Now, you know, you know that's kind of a production. And he, he, he meant for it to be that way. But why did he do it? To meet a neat. The girls needed some relaxing time, some fun time, and some time to be kids. So meeting a need for travelers, people you don't know, maybe new students from William and Mary here, maybe new folks to town, new folks to your church, new folks in your neighborhood. How about lunch out with them? Do a little bit more than just try to learn their name for a second or two, you know? Learn their name, remember their name, invite them to lunch, you know? Sometime in the week. Two really practical ideas. If you feel the urge, don't hesitate. Just do it. Don't say, someday I want to. Just do it. You know, if you feel like you want to do that, do it. And sometimes uh, with helping, you know, we don't even need to ask. We're so independent these days. It's like, could, could, could I take you? I know. I would like to take you out to lunch. Can you come with us today? You know, just be positive about it. See what happens. The worst thing to say is no. You know? Secondly, keep it simple and practical. It's not a production. Let's see what other, um, you know, sort of waypoints along the way the writer would have us consider. He says in verse 3, Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Now, not too many of us have been in prison lately, and it wasn't really a typical virtue in Roman times, as I understand it, to visit people in prisons. It wasn't talked about much, you know, uh, helping the sick, uh, helping the, the fatherless, things like that were... Um, but uh, here, and Christ taught it, but not uh, so much in the Roman context. He wanted us to visit those in prison. Those in prison, just for a frame of reference, weren't typically people that were sentenced to a 
a long-term sentence that could be that. But more typically, even as we see in Scripture, it's people awaiting their sentencing. It's people waiting for trial, being held for a, a shorter term. And they don't offer meals usually and, and, and any, any food and water and medicines and such in prison in those days. They don't offer that in prisons in Ecuador. You have to go bring that to people if uh, they're going to eat and uh, be healthy. So that's the sort of thing. So it's kind of like hospitality in prison. You know, it's kind of taking the idea. But to broaden that concept, I think we talk about serving others in general with brotherly, sisterly compassion, right? Um, we say, well, I don't know how, you know, is somebody out of work? Does somebody have a, a minor illness or a major illness? Is somebody lonely, no family nearby, few friends, or new in the country and can't speak English well enough to get around? Put yourself in their place for a minute. That's what this text asks us to do. It says, as if you were there, as if you were in prison. You know, those who are mistreated, you know, sympathize with them. Uh, Webster says sympathy uh, is this. Kindness of feeling towards one who suffers. Pity, commiseration, compassion. But I like the last part the best. Feeling which corresponds to what another is feeling, at least in kind, if not in degree. So in other words... I get the idea of what you're going through. I haven't been through that exact thing or maybe to this depth, but I want to help, you know, to have sympathy with others. Be fellow prisoners. I think we can do this collectively for big needs that we can band together as a church and as communities for this. Uh, tornado relief, the churches in Alabama and that are just going crazy with uh, helping with relief for tornado victims and things like that. We were in that state the week that all those bad tornadoes came through. You guys are doing the fish food pantry uh, here for those that don't have enough food in the local community. I know your deacons fund and your deacons work to support in various ways the working poor here in Williamsburg. Um, there's the Haiti relief efforts, the Japan relief efforts. We can go on. I'm sure you guys have supported many of those things. And praise the Lord, we can do those things collectively and we should. But I would like just to focus, too, on how we can help individually or as families with more personal needs. Is somebody out of work right here in your congregation? Have you offered to circulate their resume or to help them with maybe a short-term financial need or something like that? Is somebody recovering from an illness, a longer-term illness? Maybe you can take a meal to them or just go by and say hi and give them some friendship, uh, offer to clean or cut the grass or shop or whatever they might need. Again, the idea is just keep it simple and just go do it. Don't say, can I? Just go and help and start. Um, another goal for us, I think, to work for as a congregation is developing a sense of interdependence in Christ, where it's okay for us to help and it's okay to be helped. And often that second is the hardest part. We don't want to accept help. You know, if somebody offers to help and you don't even need that kind of help, accept the help anyway. You might gain a friend. Meet somebody new. And maybe you'll find ways that you can help them or get dig down into a spiritual need where you both can be served and helped. So, when we help, we help in God's name and we'll both be blessed because it's pleasing to God and it's on the GPS of those who are seeking God's kingdom. Uh, the writer moves on to another area of our life. He says in verse 4, Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Uh, sexual impurity, the purity of marriage was a problem in those days, and it's a problem today. Uh, it's quite obvious to all of us. And this is a problem, and this is a problem and a solution that we can offer both as married people or as single people. 
everyone in this room either is single or has been single sometime in their life. You might think of yourself as a married person now, but you were. And many of us may be married now, but will be single someday, either by the death of a spouse or um, in the unfortunate circumstances of a separation or a divorce. Um, many of us sometimes feel single. Uh, if we are, perhaps there's some in your congregation, I believe there are, that serve for long periods of time in the military, away from home. And I'm not saying that we abandon our families, I'm just saying that it's a single sort of dynamic when you're away for a long time, or even a short time on a business trip, or something like that. So how does all this apply to our lives? So let's think about sort of the business or military folks, you know. Nurture that relationship with your wife or your husband. Make that the priority. Always call home. Building up your marriage is the easiest way to build purity into your thoughts and your heart and your marriage. And beyond that, I know friends. I've got a friend who says, I never, ever turn on the TV when I'm away from home. I just don't do it. Not to watch the news, not to check the weather, nothing. I'll read a book and I'll read the newspaper. But I don't turn on the TV. He knows where his limits are. Maybe we need some of those limits too. Practical things in our lives. It's not just for those that are out traveling. It's for all of us. It's for singles. It's for marriage. how we dress our speech, our eyes, our heart, the jokes we tell and laugh at, the movies and shows we watch, the music we listen to. We need to cultivate things that cultivate purity in our minds and our hearts. And it may seem weird to you. It may seem weird to others. It might seem like swimming upstream. It might be inconvenient. It might be expensive. Whatever. But as kingdom-minded pilgrims, we need to do this God's way and not our own. Will we trust Him and His route to get us there? Another area that must be the hardest because he, he backs it up with a punch. This is the only uh, encouragement, instruction he gives that he quotes two Old Testament texts for. He says in verse 5 and 6, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You know, it's... Um, do we really love money? Or do we love what we think money gets us? I think it's the latter. I think we put our trust in money and our, our hope in money for what it can provide us. Um, we, you know, our money says in God we trust, but it still does, and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for that. But I think many times, you know, if we were honest with ourselves, like in the almighty dollar, I trust. Might, should go on that money. Um, you know, we send a monthly check maybe into a company that we call our insurance company. And what does it insure us from? Does it insure our health? Just because I've got a little plastic card in my wallet that says I can... It doesn't insure my health. It doesn't guarantee my health. It can help along the way. But God is our insurance there. Wouldn't it be just as ridiculous for the inscription on our coins to say, I will never leave you nor forsake you? Our money does leave us, doesn't it? How many of you, like I, probably some of you much more heavily than I, have invested in 401ks for your future? Did any of that money leave you? Did me. But our God is always present. He will never leave us. He's always present. He's always a help, a powerful help, the only help. So we need to honor God with all that we have and all that we are. Here's just sort of something I want to throw out there that's halfway along the lines of honoring God and trusting God with our money and being on mission for God. There's a 
man named Mike in one of the churches that I'm close to that support us. And, and he said to me the other week, he said, Craig, he says, you know, I'm just realizing that missions is more than just being on the missions committee. He leads their missions effort at their church, medium-sized PCA churches. It's more than just that. It, it, it's more than me going on a trip once a year, once every other year. It's more than me doing stuff here in the church to promote missions. It's, it says, my life needs to be reoriented around God's priorities. My, my, my kids, my teenage kids need to be about mission where they are here and overseas. My, my budget, my way I spend my money and invest my time needs to be about mission. And he and others have said to me this year, he says, there are many churches that have struggled with uh, high gas prices and other things and just feel like they can't send short-term teams over. And, and by the way, I made this application, this thought, long before I found out that you all you know, weren't going to Cherokee this year because of various circumstances. Lots happening to lots of churches. So here's just an idea, a crazy idea. We like to go on vacations with our families, right? How many of you take family vacations with your own kids? Or maybe you've got grown kids and to go visit them or visit some family or some loved ones. Would it make sense every other year to go on a vacation, quote unquote, to a mission area and serve with your family? What do we really want out of a vacation? And I'm not against vacations. I've taken two or three this year. It's a good place to take vacations, a little better than Ecuador. But what do we want out of a vacation? Do we really want to swoosh down the slopes or to soak in all the sun or to see half of Asia? What do we really want? I think if we search deep down, what a lot of us would want on a vacation is a deeper connected relationship with our family. Maybe to learn something new about God and his work in our life or their lives, right? Could that happen on a mission trip? Just a thought to uh, think about coming uh, overseas and reorienting your life like Mike's wanting to around God's economy instead of ours. So we have some bookends here with some practical advice. We could talk about other things. We could talk about learning from past leaders. We could talk about respecting and being obedient to current leaders. We could talk about what we need to do to nurture faith in ourselves. But those will be another topic for another day for Camper, for your next pastor, for somebody else. There's some bookends here. They started out with, let brotherly love continue. And in verse 16, he says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So we've got a few points along the way, but a lot of instruction and a lot of good ideas from the spirit even weaken us instead of strengthen us, don't they? Because we know we'll never measure up. I don't measure up to everything I'm preaching today. I need to hear this sermon. But the writer knows that. This pastor who's writing to Hebrew Christians knows that. He knows that is true in our lives too. And he gives us some motivation, some help, and some pointers along the way. He warns us against easy fixes or what we might call spiritual magic bullets. He says, be strengthened by grace. Did you see that in verses 9 and 10? He says, do not be led astray by diverse and strange teachings for it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. He goes on. So I'm not sure what's happening here. I think the idea is there's some specially blessed food, and if you eat from it, not the communion table, that is sanctioned by the Lord. Something else going on here, that if you eat from this special food, it's going to just bless your socks off. You know, that happens a lot. You're Christian music, or a CD, or a magazine, or the latest prayer of so-and-so, that everybody's reading the book, and it's going to change their life. You know, I don't know what spiritual things, new or old, we sometimes get strapped into that we think are really going to feed our souls, but maybe don't. 
We need to go back to the basics and be strengthened by grace. That's his warning, his encouragement to us. But he also says, don't go with the crowd. Identify with my son. Let's look at what he says there in verses uh, 12 and 13 of, of chapter 13 of Hebrews. He says, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. There's a lot of teaching going on here, but I think the basic idea is this. Established, accepted religion in that day happened, you know, in the tabernacle in the olden days and then in Jerusalem in Jesus' day. And he's saying, you know, that sacrifice for sin the one that really pointed to my Jesus' sacrifice, where was it burned? It was burned outside the camp. And those that went out to do that duty were considered unclean for a time, and they couldn't go back in the camp. But isn't it interesting that that sacrifice for sin was burned up outside the camp? And, and it's just like that, that sacrifice that it pointed to, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, where was he crucified? Outside the city gates. And he was mocked there. And so I think the author is saying, be willing to identify with my son, Jesus. Be willing to stick your neck out, to put your, you know, your, to cast your lot with him. As a Christ follower, may face some persecution. Just as Jesus was humiliated, you know, others uh, will humiliate us at times. But we've got to walk in a way and choose our route, not according to the route that others won't laugh at, but according to the route that he wants us to take. It might feel like swimming upstream. But then he says, don't worry. Those other folks, they don't even know where they're headed. They think that Jerusalem's the bit. Now, maybe, you know, you're into cities or maybe you're not. Cities are cool. We serve in cities. We've always served in cities. But maybe your ideal is to have a house in the Shenandoah Valley overlooking it. I don't know. But, but the here and now is not it. There's something coming, something future. So they don't even know where they're going. But we have an eternal city. We're on a time of what they call home missionary assignment. We kind of like to nickname it foreign ministry assignment because we feel like our home's in Ecuador. That's where our kids sort of basically grow up. It's mostly what they know. But um, really, I'm wrong in even saying that. Where is my home? My home's where most of your home is. It's in heaven. It's with the Lord. And we're here as pilgrims, as sojourners, as journeymen along the way. And we want to savor his presence. And it can be a joyful journey, especially uh, as guided by him. We asked two questions at the beginning. We said, where are we going? And we said, towards his kingdom, along his path. And we said, how are we going to get there? And we've looked at some important points through the way about ministering to those in need and showing compassion and honoring marriage and other things. But what about another more critical question? Where am I? You know, sometimes Maggie, the GPS, does decent job at doing that, but sometimes she gets befuddled and doesn't even know where we are. You know, she's got me in another state until she recalculates and finds her satellites and all that. But I'm not talking about the map. There's two places spiritually where we are. We're either in Christ or we're outside of Christ. We either have a living, loving relationship with our Lord or we don't know him yet. And I would ask you to examine your heart. Where are you? But even as we do that, where are we each day? I'll assume that most of you here today, just like the writer does, are in Christ. And as an encouragement, that sort of step of confessing how great God is and how it's all about him and how weak and helpless I am, that's not just something we do when we come to Christ. That's something we do every day. And he kind of points us towards that in verse 15. Let's read together. He says, 
through him, right? In Christ, through Christ, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. The idea is confession. You know, uh, praise of a human has its limits, right? We can we can err on the side of going a little too far, but we can never go too far praising our God. There is no way. It's all about him. But if we compare this with an Old Testament passage in Hosea 14, we won't go there, but read Hosea 14 sometime. It starts out saying, return to me, O Israel, you know, offer with the fruit of your lips confession saying we've gone the wrong way. We need to do a a U-turn. Part of the fruit of our lips needs to be a confession that I can't do it, Lord. All these instructions you give me here today, I can't do, but you can. That's part of our confession and the fruit of our lips. So where's your heart today? What do we need from him? And what do we need to give glory to him about it? Lastly, and I think the greatest encouragement in this passage is his presence with us. Christ is with us if we are in Christ. And it's a constant, eternal presence. Let's look at verse 8. This is one we started memorizing the other day in the car with our girls, partially because it's very short and partially because it's important. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Yesterday and today and forever. And that's reflected in the benediction. Let's read that together. It says, Now may the God of peace, who brought back again from the dead, it's in verse 20, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Because all that is Christ's past work on our behalf once for all. He has died and he has risen May he now equip, may the Lord equip you with everything good that so that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. That's his current help. I can't do this. I can't follow the GPS, but God can help me. God will do it in me. And it's for his glory now and forever. No GPS, no planner map, no amount of money. No amount of social service, no amount of spiritual discipline will guarantee our safety along the way or our success or that we'll even arrive at the final destination. But Jesus Christ, who's the same yesterday, today and forever, can not only guarantee the end, but every step along the way. So let's trust him together as we journey along. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you that we are on a journey, a journey comforted by your presence and empowered by your presence. Thank you. We thank you that you never change. And we thank you that you will help us to keep our focus on you and your kingdom in even some of these practical ways this week. We, we pray that. And Lord, when we fail and we falter and we know that we can't do it, may we do what is good and come to you and confess with our lips, just as we did at the beginning of the service. I can't. Lord, but you have done it and will do it in me. Thank you for your pardon. And it's in Christ Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.